Last week we began a series on godliness in believers and we asked the question what is godliness and we gave the definition and then we granted the the nature of godliness um what did we say godliness is yes what did we say is godliness that quality of the Christian that makes him to look more and more like God than the world around him, the devil above him, and the flesh, sinfulness of, the, the, the sinfulness of his nature within him. So he looks more and more like God. And then for the nature, what did we say are some of the uh, uh, natural qualities of godliness? What did you say is the nature of godliness? Yes? We say that holiness, uh, sorry, godliness is holistic. It grants uh, that the Christian is godly in every part of his being. Because when God makes us Christians, He makes us new creations. He doesn't make us Christians in just uh, uh, one part of our, our bodies. Mm-hmm. You say that godliness is a matter of the heart. The person who is godly is so from within the heart. Uh, we are not godly only outwardly or we are not to be godly only in appearance having a form of godliness but denying its power rather godliness is a thing that emanates from the heart from within the heart of the christian because the christian has been changed because they have been saved therefore that which is within them comes out and lord jesus tells us that whatever is in will will come out whatever is in their heart will be known the way we carry ourselves but that hypocrisy that, that looks like godliness will very quickly be known. And then, what else did we say? Uh, is the nature of godliness. We say that godliness is fervent. It's not a thing that, uh, <clears throat> that is casual or you can just have without uh, oomph godliness is a thing that is is fervent and we say that it continues it continues to the end the fervency of it is seen the way we love the word of god the way we love the people of god the way we uh, enjoy that which is attributed to god fervency and then what did what did we lastly say godliness looks like it's real it's a real thing godliness is not a thing that we imagine it's a thing that is real in the people of god and we say that it's real because why did you say it's real yes because god is real because god exists and so then godliness exists today I'd like us to consider a few characteristics of godly Christians. Characteristics of godly Christians. I'd like to bring to you five things. Hopefully today and then next week some more five things. Godliness in believers is a thing that we saw that is paramount. We must have. But what is, what is this that we are calling godliness that we must have? Number one. Godly Christians seek to be like God. Godly Christians seek to be like God. Number two, godly Christians seek to treasure the Son of God. 
Godly Christians seek to treasure the Son of God. Number three, godly Christians have the Spirit of God. Godly Christians have the Spirit of God. And number four, godly Christians love the Word of God. Godly Christians love the Word of God. And lastly, godly Christians love the people of God. So this is where we begin. For us to be godly, we begin with God. Our, for us to have those characteristics of godly Christians, we must begin with God. We must begin to seek to be like God. We must begin to treasure the Son of God. We must begin to seek to uh, have the Spirit of God. We must begin to love the Word of God and to love the people of God. We begin with God. So I'm going to be asking a question every time we consider a particular point. So number one, godly Christians seek to be like God. And the question here is, are you seeking to be like God? How much are you seeking to be like God? Is the glory of God your concern? Seeking to be like God is, is one thing that his people ought to be doing constantly. The people of God must seek to be like God. If you're not seeking to be like God, it's not only that you're not godly. It's also that you may not have the seed of God in you. If you gauge yourself with this, you will know to what extent godliness occupies your mind and your heart. How much you're seeking to be like God uh, helps you to know how much you are enthusiastic about godliness. It's one thing to talk about God. It's one thing to be with uh, believers. It's another thing to want to be like God, to look like God. It's one thing to talk about God and it's another thing to look like God. Talking about God is, is good. Really, it's not bad if we are uh, talking about him rightly. But then looking like him is a completely different thing. A desire to be like God emanates from our love for him. Consider with me first John. First John. This is the book that we hope to do once we finish uh, the book of Ephesians. First John chapter 2. And what I want to show you here is that the desire to be like God comes from our love for Him. It comes from, from loving Him. The Bible says, do not love the world. First John 2.15 or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, really what we're being told here is not to love the world, but to love God. And it's very interesting that when we are seeking to be like God, we must first love Him. Notice that, that when we seek to be like the world, we must first love the world. There must be a love for the world that propels us to want to be like the world. And when we are seeking to be like God, there must be a love for God that propels us to want to be like Him. The heart of the godly Christian swells with love for God and for His glory. The glory of God is the concern of the Christian. God is the godly Christian's portion. And thus, this godly Christian seeks to be like God. God is everything really to the, to the godly Christian. And thus, then he seeks to be like Him, seeks to be like God. 
what are some of the attributes of God that we are to seek to have? <clears throat> when you're talking about looking like God, we are especially saying, look at God's nature and seek to be like him. What are some attributes that we can point at and seek to look like him? Holiness. 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 <clears throat> the Bible says that we are to seek to be holy the way our heavenly father is holy this is first peter quickly look at that first peter chapter 2 chapter chapter 1 let's begin at chapter 1 peter says we are called to be holy chapter 1 verse 13 therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who calls you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct be separate be righteous be pure since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy and you realize that uh, peter is just expositing for us there uh, then verse 15 uh, we have an exposition of uh, is it verse 15 you shall be holy for I am holy verse 16 sorry verse 16 since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy that's a, an exposition of Leviticus Leviticus chapter 11 so that when God says in Leviticus, you shall be holy, he's telling his people, emulate me, seek to be like me. Go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture behold I'm laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame verse 7 so the honor is for you who believe King James renders this and to you who love him he is precious but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do verse 9 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The people of God are called to be like God. A holy nation because God is holy. Then we are to seek to be like God in love. Now when we say that we want to be like God, really, we can say... Let's consider the fruit of the Spirit and we will be on the right path in seeking to be like God. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. There we have a few attributes. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5 from verse 22. Now with holiness <clears throat> that is where we begin when God tells Moses to go to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel he's he's particularly calling Moses to go ca call his people to be a separate people to be removed from an idolatrous nation that they may go and worship him that they may be separate they may be separated from all the nations of the world that they may worship the one true God you, my beloved brethren, are saved by God so that you may worship Him, so that you may be about Him, 
so that you may seek to be like him. That's why God saved us. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So the godly Christian must be seeking to have these attributes, if you will. That he must be seeking to have love. Love that we have there. He loves the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. So that the first question that should come into the Christian mind, regardless of whatever they may be going through, is what does God want me to do in this situation? How would God want me to respond right now? Is this a thing that God would love or is this a thing that God would hate? Now we fall into the temptation of making life to be about us. As opposed to seeking to be like God and therefore life being about God himself. Everything that God made, God made because of him. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Life is about God. Life is not about you, my brethren. Life is about God and all of us ought to be seeking to be like God. Why? Because God is the greatest good. Right? He's the greatest good. If God were not about him, then he would not be God. Then there would not be God. But because God exists, and because the God of the Bible that we worship is the greatest good, then everything must be about Him. And the Christian must be seeking to be like God. He must be seeking to be like God. So he loves the things that God loves. He hates the things which God hates. And this makes him to be like God. Let's go to the Psalms. Psalm 97. Remember we began by saying that if we are to be seeking to be like God, we, are, we must love God. There must be a deep love for God rested in the heart of the Christian. Now listen to Psalm 97 verse 10. O you who love the Lord, do what? Hate evil. O you who love the Lord, hate evil evil he preserves the lives of his saints he delivers them from the hand of the wicked you see when the believer loves the lord he will hate evil and he will hate evil because god hates evil and therefore he is seeking to be like god and thus then He loves righteousness. He loves holiness. He loves faithfulness. For these things, God loves. God loves righteousness, holiness, faithfulness. And therefore the believer, wanting to be like God, loves the same things. Loves the same things. Let's consider one more text there. You can go look at the rest of the attributes of God. Um... And even the fruit of the Spirit at home, like the Bereans. Because of time, we will we'll just move on. You, because you get the points that I'm trying to make. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verse 8. Beloved, <clears throat> let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see there, we, we are called to love one another. We will see this later on. 
but the motivation for loving one another is wanting to be like God. Because God is love. And God loves. And he says that we, we, we love because God first loved us. <clears throat> Is there any question or comment before I move on? Yes. What scripture is that that you're referring to? <clears throat> Someone on the mount. Five. <clears throat> so the reason I was asking that is because we must consider the context as we interpret any part of the text. In these portions of uh, scripture that Jesus is teaching, what he's doing is he's refuting the Pharisees. And he's essentially saying that the issue is in the heart. Pharisees want uh, things to be outward, so to speak. They consider murder the act of hacking someone. But then Jesus tells them that if you hate your brother... You are a murderer. They consider the issue of taking oath as a thing that can be done casually, so long as uh, and they think that so long as you don't swear by by God Himself, you can swear by anything else, really, even in your constant, you know, normal conversations. And Jesus tells them, no, no, you must not swear by anything. And we consider that when we are going through our confession. They think that uh, uh, adultery is just uh, uh, sleeping with a woman who is not your wife. But then Jesus tells them that adultery is more than that. It's, 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 a, it's a matter of the heart. When you look lustfully, you commit adultery and so on and so forth. And so it's in that context that he tells them that they are to love their their enemies and pray for those who persecute them they love their enemies because uh, uh, so, so, so Jesus is teaching and he's saying we are to love our enemies and uh, it's in that context that we have the Pharisees telling others you can love your neighbor but you can hate your enemy there's no you know there's no problem in hating your enemy and in this context uh, Jesus is getting at the heart. Now when he says, uh, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, he's saying the Pharisees think that they are perfect because they have all these laws that they are keeping or that they are requiring others to keep. And they think that that's it, that is where perfection is. And Jesus tells them, perfection really is in God. The God who looks at the heart. And for you to be perfect... What must you do? You must look like him. And what Jesus is telling them is, you can't quite be perfect. Right? If you are to be perfect the way the Father is perfect, and you understand that the context there is that the Pharisees are 
so much claiming of perfection you know pharisees would be the sinless perfectionists of the day thinking that because they have kept this law they have not murdered they have not uh, slept with any woman they have not uh, sworn anything by the name of god uh, then they are perfect but then jesus says perfection is that which looks like god's perfection and that perfection can only be found in the son of god the only one who can grant true righteousness that, that's that's how we are to interpret that because of time let's let's move on godly christians seek to treasure the son of god godly christians seek to treasure the son of god the question there is how much are you treasuring the son of god how much are you treasuring the son of god the lord jesus christ the lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the earth how much are you treasuring the son of god the redeemer of god's people the one who saved you the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things how much are you treasuring this king of kings and lord of lords that's the question there and if we treasure the son of god for us to know that we treasure the son of god we cannot live without him you know that you're a godly christian when you cannot live without jesus christ the things which we value show what we cannot live without you know that eh come on don't you if your phone gets lost right now the trouble that you will have and the trouble that you will have shows you that you value that thing right and so you know that you value the son of god you treasure the lord jesus christ when you cannot live without him and that has an implication if there is a day that passes that you have no you have no thoughts of christ you have no business with him you have no communion with him it speaks to what you value what you treasure john chapter 4 because i'm going to come back to this <clears throat> uh, to to chapter 4 let's let's consider chapter chapter 6 in chapter 4 we will consider the samaritan woman but for this let's let's look at uh, chapter 6 verse 25 so you have jesus having fed the 5000 and then the five the, the, the people now are looking for him they're wondering where has jesus gone in chapter in verse 25 we're told When they found him on the other side of the sea they say to him Rabbi when did you come here Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you you are seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of god will the son of man will give to you for on him god the father has set his seal and they say to him what must we do to be doing the thing the works of god Jesus answered them This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he, he has sent So they said to him Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you What work do you perform Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat Jesus said uh, Jesus then, then said to them Truly truly I say to you it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven But my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They say to him, "Sir, give us this bread always." Now, I had wanted us to consider what he had said to the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman says a similar thing. He tells him, "Give me this water that uh, I will drink and never be thirsty." And then Jesus said to them there in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You see, the, these people are looking for Jesus because Jesus gave them bread. And that is what they value. That's what Jesus is telling them. That's what you value. And then he's telling them, "No, value, treasure, uh, prize, if you will, the bread of life. 
Because I am it. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You are a godly Christian when you cannot live without the Lord Jesus Christ. When he is your greatest treasure. You are a godly Christian if you prefer Jesus before everything else. This is how you know that you treasure the Son of God. If you prefer Jesus, if you choose Him, if you will, and, and you know Reformed people are afraid of the word choosing. <laughs> you see, you must choose God. God, God is not going to choose Himself for you. But then what Reformed people say is that it's God who gives us the ability to choose. Even to choose Him. You must prefer Jesus before other things. Let's consider Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I'm hoping that as we consider these things, you're thinking about your own, your own godliness, your own Christian life. Hebrews 11. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because, he, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. This is a man that treasures Christ above all else. This is a godly man. The godly man treasures Jesus before everything else, my friends. Before everything else. Before everything else means before everything else. It means before your family, it means before your friends. It means before your, your belongings. It means before everything. Isn't that what Jesus says? If you're not going to hate your father and your mother, your brothers and your sister, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the greatest treasure. We're godly Christians if we are willing to part with our dearest pleasures. We are godly Christians if we are willing to part with our dearest pleasures. We are godly Christians if, if we prize Jesus Christ, if we treasure him before all other things. We are godly Christians if we cannot live without Jesus Christ. We are godly Christians if we are willing to part with our dearest pleasures. And this, my friends, is where hypocrisy is, is stung, is poked and poked and poked. Because what will hypocrisy grant? That you can love your sin, you can entertain your sin and still love Jesus Christ and still claim to love Christ. Philippians chapter 3. You know this text? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason, to, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. Godly Christ Christians treasure the Son of God. They cannot live without Him. They prefer him before all other things. And they are willing to part with their dearest pleasures for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
They are willing to let go of their name, their title, their belongings. The things which they hold so dear, they are willing to part ways with them. To treasure the Son of God, we will endure any amount of struggle to get Him. And because of this, we know that we love the Son of God. We know that we treasure the Son of God. We will endure any amount of struggle, any amount of pain, if you will. Matthew chapter 13. Let's listen to this. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This man is willing to lose everything that he has so that he may gain Christ. He is willing to endure the struggle of not having his belongings that he may have Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. That he is the greatest treasure. That he is willing to lose everything else. And to have Jesus Christ. To treasure the Son of God, we will be willing to help others to get Him. Lastly, we'll be willing to <clears throat> help others get Him. This is where now I like us to consider the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. <clears throat> and you know this, the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus finds her. Um, wanting to draw water. <clears throat> Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from, uh, from me, a, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus said, answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked. Hmm? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, of course, you know the story. The woman says to him, give me this water. Uh, Jesus says, says to him, I am the Christ. In fact, this is the only place where Jesus explicitly says that he is the Christ. Um, and then the woman, uh, after, after, the, after Jesus has exposed to her all her, her, her ways, he tells her, now come to me. And then what the Samaritan woman does is she goes back to her people and tells them of Jesus Christ. He tells them, come, see a man who has told me everything about me. And then the people come and they, they see him. They believe him. And then they now confess that they do not only believe because of the, uh, the Samaritan woman's confession or profession. They believe because they have seen him for themselves. Know that you treasure the Son of God when you are willing to tell others about Him. When you are willing to tell others about Him. Know that you're willing, you, you treasure the Son of God when you cannot live without Him. When you prefer Him before all other things. When you will part with your dearest pleasures for the sake of Him. When you will endure any amount of struggles and pains for Him when you are willing to help others get to him know him number three godly Christians have the spirit of God I think this is where I will end for the sake of time godly Christians have the spirit of God the question here is do you have the spirit of God How do you know that you, you have the Spirit of God if you do? 
godly Christians know that they have the spirit of God because he helps them to overcome temptation. The spirit of God helps the people of God to overcome temptation and thus then making them godly. Making them godly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, the way of escape is granted by God through his spirit. Because it is the spirit of God who, for example, brings to mind the word of God that you may be able to conquer evil. You know that you are a godly Christian when you have the spirit of God. And you know that you have the spirit of God when you are enabled to overcome temptations. And you are enabled to overcome temptations. The default state of the Christian is not constant sinning. The Christian does sin. But that's not his default state. That's not, uh, that's not his way of life anymore. The way of life of the Christian is... That he loves God, loves the people of God, loves the word of God. He treasures the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus he's enabled to overcome temptation by the Spirit of God. Godly Christians have the Spirit of God. They, they show that they have the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God helps them to pray. Such a basic truth. Is the Spirit of God helping you to pray? Are you able to go a whole day without prayer? Two days, three days, a week without praying? Then you're not godly at all. Because the Spirit of God resides in the hearts of the people of God, therefore making them godly, enabling them to pray. Romans chapter 8. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit of God helps us to pray. He intercedes for us and he enables us to pray rightly. Galatians, you don't have to turn here, you, you can just listen to this. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4. But in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God helps the people of God to pray. Let, 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 me, let me repeat that point. Godly Christians have the Spirit of God. That's what we are considering. And they know that they have the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God helps them to overcome temptation. He helps them to pray. Helps them to pray. That's why I'm saying that if you do not pray, you are not godly. Because godly Christians have the Spirit of God who helps His people to pray. The Spirit of God helps us to benefit from their ordinances. We baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
actually benefit from the ordinances because of that. But then it's also the Spirit of God who helps us to benefit from the Lord's Supper. The Spirit of God helps, helps the godly Christian to bear fruit. Right? I mean, the, the fruit that we are granted in the Scriptures is the fruit of the Spirit. And therefore, it must be then that the Holy Spirit of God helps the people of God to bear that fruit. So you are only a godly Christian if you have the Spirit of God within you. And the Spirit of God not only helps you to overcome temptation, to pray, to benefit from the ordinances, He helps you to bear fruit. He helps you to grow. And what that means is if you are not bearing fruit, bearing the name of Jesus Christ, you are not godly. And my intention is to point you to godliness in believers that you may be a godly Christian you do claim to to know God you do claim to know Christ you do claim to have the spirit of God then why are you not godly if you are not why because as the people of God God has given us First Peter. This is the last text that I will bring. It's actually second, second Peter, sorry. Second Peter chapter one. And my question here is why? Why are you not godly? The way that you ought. I'm not asking you that as though I'm the most godly person. I'm asking you that because I am the preacher preaching to you. And I'm also asking you that because we are all believers. Why, why are we not godly the way we ought to be? Because the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 that His divine power has granted to us all, uh, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us everything that we need to be godly. He has made us to know God. And that's what Jesus says in uh, John chapter 17. And this is eternal life. That they know who? That they know God. The one true God. And the son of Jesus Christ. So he has enabled us to know God. To know him. He has given us his son. And he has given us his spirit. Now when we seek to, to be like God, because we have God, we have the ability to seek to be like God. Because he has changed us. So, so why are you not doing that? If you are not doing it. I mean he has given us his son to live that perfect life that we could not live and to die upon the cross, the death that we deserved. And he accomplished that mission by being raised from the dead. He shows that he pleased, he pleased the Father. He propitiated, he satisfied the wrath of God. And that's then he rose from the grave. He has given us his son. Why? Why are you not treasuring him the way you ought? For you to be godly. And then, oh my brethren, God has given us his spirit. Because we have believed upon His Son, He has given us that gift of the Holy Spirit, having forgiven us of our sins. Now that you have the Holy Spirit, why? Why are you not godly the way you ought? Why? And this is my call to you, that you may be godly, that you may look like this, that you may seek to be like God, that you may treasure the Son of God, and that you may have the Spirit of God producing in you that which he is able to. Is there any question or comment? I'd like to end it there.
the other, the other two points we will consider next week. Any question or comment? Okay, let's muse upon these things and discuss them in the evening at the tip lot. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We come with our faces cast down because we are, we are not godly the way we ought. We pray that <clears throat> you may forgive us and we pray that we may desire to be the godliest believers in our days. You have made us to know you. So Father, help us to seek you more and more. Seek to know you. Seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. You have given us your son. And he has done that which no man could ever do. We pray that you may help us to treasure him above all else. And Father, you have given us your spirit, having saved us. It's a seal and a guarantee for the inheritance that you have set for us. The spirit of God produces in the people of God resilience to overcome temptation. It produces in us that desire to pray helps us to benefit from the ordinances produces and bears grants fruit in our lives we pray that this may be the case for us because Lord without this then we are not godly we cannot be godly if we don't think of these matters like this please help us break down the dagon of pride level to the ground the Jericho walls of our rebel hearts Help us, Lord, that we may seek godliness like this, seeking to be like you, seeking to treasure your son, seeking to have your spirit produce in us that which your word grants. Please forgive us, Lord. Forgive us where we fall short. Make us godly. For you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Glorify yourself in the way we carry our lives. Do this that you may be lifted up. That our souls may be well rested in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. <clears throat>